Hello, I'm Al Head, Director of the Alabama State Council on the Arts, and I want to welcome you to Alabama Arts Radio Series. Each week we will be introducing you to some exceptional artists and other special people who make the arts happen in Alabama. Alabama is the home of a wide range of gifted and creative people who make important contributions to our unique cultural environment. Each week, members of the council staff will be visiting with some of these special people and introducing you to some of our state's most valuable human resources. So, for the next 30 minutes, sit back, relax, and enjoy Alabama Arts. This is Jeannie Thompson with the Alabama Writers Forum coming to you for Alabama Arts Radio. And my guest today is Jacqueline Allen Trimble, who lives and writes in Montgomery, Alabama. She's a professor of English and chairperson of languages and literatures at Alabama State University. Jackie's work has appeared in various online and print publications, including The Griot, The Offing, and The Blue Lake Review. Jackie, it's nice to have you with us today. Thank you, Jeannie. Great to be here. We've been trying to do this interview for quite a while <laughs> and talk about various things. Jackie, you're a Cave Conum Fellow. Yes. And you're also the recipient of the 2017 Literary Arts Fellowship from the Alabama State Council on the Arts. Now, these are two important distinctions for a poet from Alabama. Fellowships are, there are only two of those a year. Right. That's a real feather in your cap. What did you do in your fellowship year, or what are you doing in your fellowship year? Well, one of the things I did in my fellowship year was I went to Bemidji, Minnesota to study with Jericho Brown, and I also went to Cave Conum, which was great. We have a fellowship there, but there's still a cost associated with going to that fellowship program, to that retreat, and both of those are week-long retreats. You get wonderful time with these amazing poets. You get craft talks. You get to sit with people and talk about writing all day long and into the evening. I loved going back to Cave Conum as a second-year fellow, and uh, Major Jackson was one of the poets there. And so it was fantastic, of course, to hang out with these poets and to just sit at their feet. The other thing I got to go to was the Key West Literary Seminar. And uh, Rowan Ricardo Phillips, the great, wonderful, amazing writer from Paris Review, was there, and I got to take his workshop. So the fellowship funded a lot of travel and a lot of retreats and workshops for me. And of course, at each of those places, I produced poems. And just for our listeners who may not realize that the Alabama State Council on the Arts gives these literature fellowships from a pool of grant money that comes from state tax dollars. Right. And so you were a very good steward of those state <laughs> tax dollars by maximizing your contact with people like Major Jackson and Jericho Brown, who are real innovators in the field of poetry. I wanted to drop back for just a second and talk about Cave Conum. Okay. Cave Conum is, it's been called a place for Black poetry. Yes. It's also been called a watering hole. Tell us why Cave Conum came into existence. What was the thing that generated it? All right. Well, Toy Derricote and Cornelius Eady founded Cave Conum 20 years ago. It was in response to the fact that there were very few African-American poets 
found it very difficult to get into the mainstream of poetry, which means you're not up for the prizes, you're not the people who are judging the prizes. Prizes become very important, things like the Pulitzer Prize, things like the Whitman Award. These are the things that launch the careers of poets and sort of project them into the stratosphere and also, more importantly, get them an audience. Where do black poets get to publish? And so a lot of, it, um, for those people who don't sort of know, the publishing world, the poetry world is, it seems very large, but it's actually very small and it's made of connections. And a lot of publications come about because people ask you to submit a poem or to uh, provide a poem. So it's really about those connections. And so Toy and Cornelius noticed that African-American poets were just sort of outside the mainstream. And what they wanted to do was they wanted to not only encourage a generation of poets, but they also wanted to help produce editors, people who sat on these prize committees, people who became chancellors at the Poetry Foundation, this sort of thing. So actually what they were doing is they were having an effect on the market, the publishing market. That's exactly and, right. And um, I followed this somewhat at a distance, you know, mm -hmm. the fact that this was happening. But now you look around yes. and you see Jericho Brown, right. young African-American poet. Right. Tayemba Jess, who just yeah. won the Pulitzer Prize, Kaveh right. Conum, Randall right. Horton, Kaveh Conum, Honore Jeffers, Kaveh Conum, Natasha Trethewey, Kaveh Conum. It really became, in 20 years, this is one generation, a this place that produced Nikki Finney. Wow. All of these people came through or out of. Uh, even Elizabeth Alexander, whose career was already launched, was one of the first kind of teachers at Kaveh Kahnem. So as a Kaveh Kahnem fellow and as a recipient of a literature fellowship from the Arts Council, you were empowered with some good sense of yourself as a writer, obviously. I, I, I but, <laughs> but you published your first book, a yes. year ago. Yes. What was it about all of that that allowed you to finish this book and let this book go? Let this book go out into the world? Wow, that's a great question. About 2011, I started writing again, and I had taken a very long hiatus from writing. I think the last poem I wrote and published had been 1999, somewhere in there. It was really my husband who said, you need to start writing again. So I sort of started with a workshop with Marge Piercy, then got in Kaveh Kahnem, and went to Kaveh Kahnem. The great thing about Kaveh Kahnem is I, I sort of knew what it was, but not exactly. And I'm glad I didn't know exactly what it was, because if I had known, I never would have applied. <laughs> Why is that? I had no idea how hard it was to get into. People told me when I got there that they had applied five, six, seven times. And I thought, what? I was accepted in a year when they only had 12 new fellows. And so I was really astonished. And then I was astonished by the level of work, by the poets who were there, by everything about it. And I thought, I am out of my depth. And so I remember the first night being there, I went to Toy Derricote and I said, you and Cornelius have made a terrible mistake. I don't belong here. I, I cannot believe it. And she says, no, we haven't. I said, but I'm just not worthy. And she said, we all feel that way and it's okay you're gonna be just fine. And so what they give you is a kind of confidence in your own voice. And the thing I loved about it was there were poets who were doing very experimental things. There were traditional poets, there were form poets, poems of every type, writing about every kind of subject. And I remember Chris Abani saying that he did not believe in talent. 
that poetry, that writing is about craft. And I said, of course there's talent. He said, no, there's work. There's work. And if you're willing to do the work, you can get it done. And so that in many ways freed me to stop worrying about it, to stop thinking about it, to get out of my own way. And so I began to write again in earnest and just began not to stop worrying about it and began to just let my own voice come through. We want to fast forward up to 2016 when American Happiness is published by an Alabama press, New South Books, right here in Montgomery. That was great. Uh, (laughs) And the book, it's a lovely book. It's a beautifully, I want to say this, it's a beautifully produced hardback book that's very attractive to pick up and hold in your hand and you it has sort of a happy cover <laughs> with a flower which has photographs of you as a child embedded in the petals and you pick this book up and you go wow what's this it's yeah. red and yellow and it's so happy <laughs> then you open it up and the very first poem in the book is called everybody in america hate the south everybody in america hate the south and so you stop and you go uh okay (laughs) let's see what happens here so jackie i'd like you to read that poem for us absolutely everybody in america hate the south that land filled to the rafters with ghosts of lynched boys and attics full of souvenirs dried ears fingers genitalia like prunes the sweet magnolia memory of miss scarlet calling for mammy who has now grown some dreadlocks and owns the chicken restaurant on the boulevard america ought to say thank you miss south thank you for being like jesus and taking on the sins of the whole country or being our crazy aunt hazel who runs naked through a house full of company shouting all the foolish things we think but can't say so we can walk around all post-racial and watch gone with the wind over and over swooning from the romance (laughs) thank you now Before we go any further, I also want to say that this book came out of the gate as a winner. (laughs) It was like all poets uh, do. You made a list of places that this book should be sent to be considered for prizes. Every poet does that. Some poets have more help than others from their presses. Your New South Books was fabulous. I want to give a shout out to them for being so fabulous. I don't know how many places it was sent. Did it a lot? A lot of places, (laughs) but your ratio of win to send was very high because it won from the Seven Sisters Award. It won. It was the poetry finalist. Right. This is a national competition. Yes. Yes. It was. So this is a. This is not a publishing prize. This is a prize for a book that's already published it's prize for a book already published so right. you won poetry finalist but then every genre finalist gets entered into the category for best book of the year and it won best book of the year it won best book of the year much Which, to our surprise and happiness <laughs> so that was amazing and that then awesome. not too much longer i don't know maybe a month or so later yeah it won the balcones prize right. out of austin community college right. and that was a mind blower because yeah. of the history of who has won that prize. Right. Some of the people that you beat out as finalists are well, very well published people. Very well published. Um, I I had I wanted to get a T-shirt that said, "Oh, I, I won," but right. that would not be nice. But anyway, <laughs> and and that was a really weird thing because John Herndon contacted me via my Facebook page, and I thought it was a joke. 
And I said to him, you're kidding. And he said, no, this is not a joke. You've won. And I was so astonished. I thought, wow, I'm excited. So I'll be going there in February, February 22nd, to read for the Balcones Poetry Prize. Well, we hope that you get some news coverage to send back from (laughs) Texas to Alabama of that. Uh, February of 2018. Correct. From my perspective as director of the Alabama Writers Forum, I'm so excited and proud that a press from Alabama has taken the initiative to publish an innovative, I want to say new, but you're not really a new poet, but new in terms of, yes. of this sphere of publishing, and that the book is immediately recognized in two national competitions outside of the state of Alabama. All of this was supported and helped through the Alabama State Council on the Arts, Absolutely. recognizing you as a fellow. Absolutely. Now, I'd like to move to another section of the book that I wanted to talk with you about and have you read a few poems sure. from. And I also need to say this before I forget to say it. A book called American Happiness, published in 2016. <laughs> Think about that for a minute, everybody. Mm-hmm. It's a country that is not entirely happy, right. where there is a great deal of contention. There's a great deal of demonstration of hate. And here's a book that says, with a great deal of irony and a smile on her face, (laughs) let's read about American happiness. But it's very personal. The book is extremely personal. Uh, You talk about your family. You talk about your husband, your children. You talk about your your own history. Mm -hmm. And so the definition of American happiness begins to be the definition of a person living in America, writing her story in poetry. There's one section in the middle that I'm particularly fond of called The Geography of Passion. And in this section, I'm going to ask you to read from one of them in a second, but in this section you are going back and forth between the idea of emotions and actions and where they happen geographically. So that this whole thing becomes kind of a this whole section is a metaphor, right. I think. Right. So why don't we hear the geography of passion? Okay. The geography of passion. A woman steps off the Paris metro straight into the love of her life. The audience sighs with envy. Would this scene work in Des Moines? Is there a man on the Champs-Élysées longing for cornfields, weary of passing time in the same patisserie? Does his wife dream of men who sound like Mississippi, those long, flat vowels drawling her to ecstasy? Say Bergman had walked down a landing strip in Cleveland. Would we still remember this? The shifting fog of an Ohio evening filling us with ennui? Or if Harry had met Sally at a swap meet in Greenville, Would her orgasmic interlude delight the lunch crowd at Miss Ludie's family buffet? My husband turns to me in bed one night, his lips so wanton the camera would cut away to crashing waves or a tunnel-piercing train. Is it wrong to prefer sleep? Would I turn to him in eager ingenue, our passion the bright flame of a thousand lights, if outside my window lay the sane and not the Alabama? (laughs) Thank you. That poem embodies so much of what's in this book, where the speaker is looking you straight in the eye and saying these audacious things to you, but they're not too audacious to keep you from listening, continuing to listen. I think that that is the element that makes American Happiness such a successful book and such a well-regarded book, because the reader keeps reading the book. Yes, and I with hope poetry, so. <laughs> that's very important that when it's a page turner. I also like the fact that this book asks questions. 
Yes. You know, the title of this book could be American Happiness, question mark. Yes. That could be the title, but yes. that's not the title. No. So as you, as you went through this section, tell us about what, it wa- what is the geography of passion? What do you think that is? Well, it sort of started because I, I realized that my husband and I are very different in that my husband is a, a person who loves adventure. And when I look at the world, I see danger, <laughs> danger, danger, Will Robinson. But that's so great because he gets me out of my comfort zone and I keep him alive. <laughs> and so I thought about it's, it's the way I encounter everything in the world. And so for me, place is everything. And so I notice things like the people who drive through our neighborhoods from foreign places. And I think about all the foreign travel I have done where I have driven through people's neighborhoods and looked at their stuff. And so every place we go is exotic to us. But where we are is exotic to somebody else. Right. So for me, everything is about positionality and perspective. And so what I hope to do with this book and with these poems is to begin to change our angle of reflection so that we can stand in somebody else's shoes and maybe look at our own environment as if we were visitors and look at somebody else's environment as if it were home. That's great. That's really interesting. And I think that perhaps if we could all do that, we would achieve American happiness. Yeah. Now, in this same section, you do deal with very directly with your family. Yes. Reading through the book, we get a picture of your family. And there's one poem called Lineage, yes. which I would like for you to read. And then we'll talk about that. Okay. Lineage. My father was a thin brown line, an arrow shot through her body on its way somewhere else. And nothing could stop his trajectory, and nothing could bring him back. Not her love as sharp as paper's edge, not her swelling belly, not the word my grandmother named her when she threw her out. If only he had loved her enough to set her on fire and leave her ash on the empty altar instead of alone. This is the story my mother tells me the first time we meet. She tells it again the next time and will again for years. How her sister came to get her, how hate sustained her, how she wrapped me in a blanket and gave me away. What can I do for her? What can I do? And you end the poem with two questions Mm -hmm. that are like an incantation almost. And... This is a very personal story. It is. After you finish this poem and you say, what can I do for her? What can I do? Did you feel that you were going to find the answer to those questions? I think there is no answer. I think there are a lot of questions for which there is no answer because nothing can be done. I mean, our history is our history. There is just sometimes there's sadness and sometimes things happen. And there's no way, I think her telling the story and retelling the story was an incantation against something that had been lost that could never be recovered. And so there's nothing that can be done about that but to move on. That's interesting, though, that the story has to be told over and over again. It's almost like a keening. Yes, yeah. And that that's necessary to say, I don't know the answer, but I'm here and I'm alive. I'm here. I'm alive. And we're together after all this time. Right. The titles of some of these other poems are really wonderful. How a Woman Carves Poetry of Her Bones, 
a woman explains the world to her children. Yes. I love this woman who is a woman. <laughs> yes. I love this yes. because it invites everybody to identify. Yes. Men and women. Right. To identify with her. Many of these poems are very personal. They're sexual. They're sensuous. Right. But then we come to a woman tells the history of her people. Yes. And this is where I think the section pulls together as a metaphor of love and geography in place. So would you read that one for us? Sure. A woman tells the history of her people. My body splits wide. Between the halves lies the ocean my two great-great-grandfathers crossed one way or another. This one from a western shore of Africa, a pinpoint I will never find along a thousand miles of maybe. That one from a tiny town in Ireland, which can be named, but will not be. In the loins of each my ancestors formed, creatures rising from the sea who walked upright days and years to a small town in Alabama. This is not a tender romance, but a tale of swung axes and hunger, a violence of water that baptized and tore like one body that sheds its own skin and enters by force the skin of another, the second remade in a stranger's image. That's an incredibly powerful poem, and I think This Is Not a Tender Romance could be the subtitle of the book, American (laughs) Happiness. What I admire in that poem, Jackie, is the way you move through space and also the visual aspect of it. Thank you. So we go from the unnamed town in Ireland to the image of this creature rising and then the people. It's very uh, cinemagraphic. Oh. Do you think about that when you're writing? You know, uh, I think cinema, because I'm visual and I'm narrative, you know, that's just kind of how I engage the world. It's almost like when I'm in the middle of something, which is a terrible habit, but I've talked to other writers who have this habit. I'm always imagining it as rewritten. You know, it's almost like a little movie (laughs) playing in my head. Right. I can be in the middle of a family drama and thinking, hmm, that line could be better like this, (laughs) (laughs) which is just ridiculous. Now that's just the creative person's curse, I think. I think it is. I think it is. And maybe that's the poet's thing, to be visual Mm -hmm. and to be cinematic, because we think in image, right? Right, we do. And I've been speaking with Jacqueline Allen Trimble, author of American Happiness and 2017 fellowship recipient from the Alabama State Council on the Arts, literature fellowship recipient. Jackie, this has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much, I could keep talking with you, and we may keep talking. (laughs) That's right. Thank you for being here with us today. Thank you so much. Join us next week when Jeannie Thompson of the Alabama Writers Forum and poet Jacqueline Trimble continue their conversation about creativity and poetry. They'll discuss the cinematic nature of some poetry, with Ms. Trimble explaining how she learned at Cave Canem to examine the way that a photographer composes a photograph and to use that technique in composing poetry. She'll read more from her award-winning book, American Happiness. This program was brought to you by the Alabama State Council on the Arts and the Alabama Center for Traditional Culture. Technical production by Deb Boykin. Series theme music, The Bounds of Beauty, was composed and performed by Scooter Muse.
This week on Alabama Arts, Jeannie Thompson of the Alabama Writers Forum talks with writer Jacqueline Trimble about her experiences after receiving the 2017 Literature Fellowship from the Alabama State Council on the Arts. Ms. Trimble describes her participation in Cave Canem, a home for the many voices of African-American poetry committed to cultivating the artistic and professional growth of African-American poets. She also reads from American Happiness, her award-winning book of poetry. It's almost like when I'm in the middle of something, which is a terrible ha habit, but I've talked to other writers who have this habit. I'm always imagining it as rewritten. You know, it's almost like a little movie <laughs> playing in my head. Right. So I can be in the middle of a family drama and thinking, hmm, that line could be better like this, <laughs> which is just ridiculous. Now that's but just the creative person's curse, I think. I think it is. I think it is. So I think, and maybe that's the poet's thing. But first, the news. This week on Alabama Arts, Jeannie Thompson of the Alabama Writers Forum talks with writer Jacqueline Trimble about her receiving the 2017 Literature Fellowship from the Alabama State Council on the Arts. What I hope to do is to begin to change our angle of reflection so that we can stand in somebody else's shoes and maybe look at our own environment as if we were visitors. That's Tuesday, 8 to 8.30 Central on Troy Public Radio.